0: Uh, here we are, we are in the third week of Infinite Love when we, where we are really looking at a biblical uh, picture of heaven and, and what that means and how it impacts our lives today. Uh, kind of a long on-ramp before we get on into the scripture. I was thinking about the idea of, of Jesus and how the idea of Jesus uh, is presented to us and in the context of, of being in the unbuffered presence of, of Jesus uh, in, in heaven. And I think a lot of times uh, people approach Jesus uh, as they do green eggs and ham. You remember the Dr. Seuss uh, poem? And, and basically the tension that's going on in this poem is there's this guy who loves green eggs and ham. And then there's this other guy named Sam, I am, who doesn't want to try green eggs and ham cuz quite frankly it just sounds gross, right? So, so this guy's trying to convince him in all sorts of ways just to just to try green eggs and ham and he goes through all of these, th- these things. And and he finally, you know, he's like, "Look, you know, I uh Sam's like, "Look, I would not do I'm not going to do it." And the guy says, Would you, could you on a boat? And then Sam says this. I could not, would not on a boat. I will not, will not with a goat. I will not eat them in the rain. I will not eat them on a train. Not in the dark. Not in a tree. Not in a car. You let me be. Think about this in the context of evangelism, right? I do not like them in a box. I do not like them with a fox. I will not eat them in a house. I do not like them with a mouse. I do not like them here or there. I do not like them anywhere. I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam. I am. Then the guy says, you do not like them, so you say. Try them, try them, and you may. Try them, and you may, I say, Sam, if you will let me be. I will try them, you will see. And then try, uh, Then Sam finally tries the green eggs and ham, right? And he likes the green eggs and ham, and then he goes, I will eat them on a boat, I will eat them with a goat, and goes on and on and on. And I think a lot of times, we think if we can just get somebody to try Jesus, that they're going to like Jesus. In fact, I saw a bumper sticker the other day It said, try Jesus. If you don't like him, the devil will take you back. Makes my eye twitch. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm like sitting so there going, but I—I uh, I don't know. I just want to scream. Jesus is not a product. Jesus is not the Pepsi Challenge. Jesus is not green eggs and ham. And and I just and it, and it grieves me that 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 Jesus has been reduced to that. And and the reality is that the that. That Jesus Himself said, "You know what? Some people, in fact, a lot of people, are not going to like me, and are not going to want any part of me." And I think it kind of harkens back to uh, something that I know really personally, uh, and that's my distaste for tomatoes. Tomatoes are an abomination, saith Mark. I don't, I don't like them, and every time. You know, uh, I tell people I don't like tomatoes. They try to convince me I do. You know, my, my good friend Jamie Thompson is so nasty, he'll get those like little cherry tomatoes and he eats them like grapes. It's just gross just nasty thing. And, and it, it all started when I was a little kid and I had, a, I had a babysitter and she wanted to force tomatoes on me. And she was making me, you know, try to eat them and I didn't want to eat them. So I, you know, like all kids do, I, you know, I hid them in my napkin and I threw them away. And she found them in the trash and she made me eat them. So not only do I just not have a good taste about it, you know, I'm like, you know, I'm a victim of like this bad, this, this bad uh, uh, babysitter, and just uh, so there's like emotional scarring that goes along with tomatoes too. But people are always like, they they're all like, so you you don't like tomatoes? Do you eat ketchup? <laughs> like that's tomatoes, but uh, but but oh no, I don't like ketchup. I don't like ke- then. You know, it's like, oh, this, this, this is one of my favorite ones. It's like, well, have you had fresh tomatoes? Yes, I've had fresh tomatoes. You know what fresh tomatoes taste like? Even more like tomatoes. Like if I'm going to eat a tomato, I want it grown in petroleum and tasteless. You know, I don't like Tomatoes. Or my beautiful wife will, will make a dish and she'll put tomatoes in it. And, and I'll be like, why did you do this? And she's like, you can't even taste them in there. Well, if you can't taste them, why did you put them in there, right? I, I mean, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. See, here's, here's the reality. I don't like tomatoes. I don't like tomatoes fresh. I don't like them rotten. I don't like them green. I do not like them fried. I don't like them on a boat. I do not like them with a goat. Mark, I am. That's what i say. Mean. And you know what? I think that all of you, all y'all, plural, should respect my culinary choice. I understand tomatoes. I understand where they grow. I understand what you can do with them. I understand all about them. I just reject them and don't want them any part of my life. It's true. Here's where the tension comes in. We have this green eggs and ham tension, spiritually speaking, and the tomato. And some of us love Jesus. Some of us want to pop Jesus, you know, all the time, you know, eating Jesus, you know, want Jesus as pure as we can get. We want, we want Jesus closest. We want Jesus for, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We want, we want Jesus every part of our life. We don't, we want Jesus in our car. We want, we want Jesus everywhere. And that is awesome. And that's the way it should be. But the, also the reality is there are some people who understand who Jesus is. They they understand what Jesus did. They just want to flat out reject and do not want any part of Jesus. And that grieves us. And it hurts us. But it is the biblical reality. And I think that that a lot of times when we don't hold on to that biblical reality that that we start doing things to Jesus that is disingenuous and disrespects people's relational choice. You see, taking the tomato metaphor, we've we've tried to hide Jesus in, in meals, we've tried to water down Jesus to the point that, that Jesus may not, you can't even taste Jesus, right? That, that, that you know, we've, we've tried to disguise Jesus and put sugar on Jesus and, and, and put Jesus with, you know, jalapenos and cilantro and, and, and or put it on a, a bread, a, a thin bread and cover it with cheese and, and, and all of these kinds of different things. But the reality is that, that, you know what? A tomato is a tomato. And no matter what we do, it dishonors the tomato if we try to say the tomato is not tomato. And we dishonor Jesus and we dishonor our God. When we try to make Jesus something that he is not. So... Today, we're going to be looking at basically three different kind of uh, points in history that Jesus is talking about to bring even more clarity to this. And basically, it's then, what he, what he said then, and then what uh, he said is going to happen later, and what does it mean for us now? And I think the, the then statement is to bring clarity and not exclusion. And I think a lot of times that that Christianity gets boiled down to a religion of ex- exclusion. But I think Christianity at its best is a religion or a faith of clarity and invitation. And I think that that's what Jesus teaches. So if you open up your Bibles to John 14 in verse 1, Jesus says... Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, I would have have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you. So right out of the bat, Jesus is pointing this picture of what? a place where there's more than enough room. Jesus is not saying, you know what? There's only, you know, it's like a bad infomercial and, you know, there's only 10 left and you need to call now to make sure that you get, you know, your ShamWow Plus or, or whatever. You know, no, Jesus is saying, look, it is wide open. There is more than enough room. There is not a limit on space. There's not the whoever gets there first is getting in, and if you're too late, you're not, you know, going to get in. Jesus is saying, look, this, that's not, it's not a thing about exclusion, that everyone is invited. This is critical as we look at this. But he also brings clarity. He says, look, when everything is ready, I will come and get you. So that you will always be with me where I am. Now, here's a clarifying statement of He's talking about heaven, right? And when he says everything is ready, I'm going to come, and this is what it's going to be like: that you are always going to be with me where I am, and you know the way that um, and you know the way to where I'm going. And then Thomas says. No, we don't, Lord. In fact, we have no idea where you are going. So how can we know the way? And then Jesus responds with one of the most abused Scripture that I believe, uh, in uh, one of the most abused Scripture in modern day. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. What is Jesus saying here? You see, what I think a lot of people do when they take this and they they try to use it as a weapon to uh, make you defend the indefensible, they say things like, do you believe that Jesus is the only way? Only way to what? And if they say heaven, so what heaven are you talking about? Are you talking about a cosmic Disneyland where the good people go? Is that what you're talking about? Because, you know, no. Then the answer is no. Jesus is not the only way to the cosmic Disneyland where the good people go. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the... Father, No one comes to God. No one comes into the unbuffered presence of God through me. But how can that be? Well, he clarifies. If you had really known me, you would have known who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip says this. And this is a great clarifying question. Uh, statement. It says, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. And this is so great. Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still do not know who I am? Anyone, get this, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you. Now let's take this whole thing in context. The context of of the the statement of I am the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father to me, was preceded with, hey, there is more than enough room. Everyone is invited. But I am the truth and the way and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And guess what? Guess who the Father is? The Father is me, and I am the Father. So essentially, the real real statement is that Jesus is saying, you know what? The only way to me is me. And when we allow for an unbiblical teaching on what heaven is, we end up defending the indefensible. That we start trying to defend, you know, good people and, and, and how narrow-minded, how narrow-minded is it that, that Jesus is the only way? The only way to what? Himself? Yes, Jesus is the only way to himself. And when we take it out and we say, you know what? We have a, Uh, green eggs and ham kind of mentality and if we could just get people to taste the green eggs and ham if we could just get people to taste Jesus that they're going to like him but that's not what Jesus taught Jesus said that there's going to be lots of people who don't like him in fact he talks about the wide road and the narrow road the wide road is away from him and most people are going to take the wide road the narrow road is the way of jesus and i i just i just want to blow up this whole paradigm of you're out and you're in I want to blow up this paradigm that that if you're good enough or you're smart enough or if you give enough, you get to go to this cosmic Disneyland and everyone else goes to hell. And come circle back around and realize, number one, Jesus said some people are just not going to like him. They're going to understand who he is. They're going to understand why he came. And they are going to flat out reject him. And yes, that grieves us because we love Jesus so much and we want people to to love Jesus as much as we do. And we want people to want to be in the unbuffered presence of God, but the reality is some people do not want that. And this is what Jesus is saying. So later... That was then, and this is, this is later, and Jesus is talking about the future. This is later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. That just, I don't know, when I read that, I have a picture of Jesus standing on a mountain, or sitting on a mountain of olives, but that's just me. His disciples came to him privately and said, tell us when this will happen, when he's going to come back. What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? And Jesus said this, Don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. Not everyone who comes is going to say I am Jesus, the Messiah being Savior. There's going to be many who are going to pull us away from our first love Jesus and, and our hope to be in his unbuffered presence for eternity and say, I am the, I am the Savior here um, economically. I am the Savior politically. I, I am the Savior uh, environmentally. And to pull us to, to follow them and take our eyes off Christ. Says, many are going to come to do this, and and they will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and threats of war, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place. But the end of the world, but the end won't follow immediately. Nations will go to war against nations and kingdoms against kingdoms. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all this is only the first of the birth pains, with more to come. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. And you will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. Now can we panic? Right? I, how, how can we have this, this? You know, Jesus saying, not only are they, some people not going to like me, But they're not going to like you either because you are my follower. and, And you know what? There's going to be a time when followers of me are going to be arrested. They are going to be persecuted. And they are even going to be killed because they are followers of me. He continues on. He says... And many will turn away from me and betray and hate me and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere. And the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. Jesus is talking about about his second coming, the resolution of the story of God, the restoration of the story of Israel. And when we look at this, you know, I think a lot of times we don't want a resolution to the story because we understand that when a story resolves the story is done at least that part of the story and and we understand that you know what there is going to be a separation that that there will be a time where where heaven will be come that god will come and those and those who have made a choice We'll live with that choice, and that, that grieves us. And Jesus here is saying, you know what? I want to paint this picture and say, hey, you know what? These things are going to come, wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and, and, and all of these kinds of different things and persecution and, 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 and hatred. But it will all end. He says, many love will grow cold, their love for, for Christ, because it will become just so hard. He talks about it in the, in the context of, of endurance. And as an uh, endurance athlete liking to do triathlons and stuff, I can, I can tell you there's a range of emotions in, in endur- endurance racing. There's the starting of the gun. Where you have all of this energy and and really the, 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 the biggest, you know, discipline that you have is not to expend all your energy at the beginning. Knowing that it's not a sprint, that that it's a long race. And just keep on telling yourself, slow down, slow down, slow down. As you get going and you kind of settle in, you know, especially in a triathlon, you're, you know, you're swimming and everything, you, you eventually are ready for the, for the next age or the next, next part, and you get out of the water and you get on your bike, and you're riding on your bike, and, and after a while, you know, you're, you're sitting on your bike, and you're like, okay, I'd really like to get off this bike, and I just can't wait to get on to the run. And you get off of your bike, and you get on the run, and you're running, and you go like, why did I want to get off my bike? You know, but you can't go back, right? I mean, you could, but you wouldn't finish the race. And... I can tell you, in an endurance race, the end is always the hardest part. It just is. Because, you know, the the excitement is long gone. You know, in my case, all the people have gone home. <laughs> and, and it's just, you're just slugging it out to the end. And the last part is the hardest part. And this is what Jesus is trying to say, is like, in the future, you know, that, that, yeah, you know what, when you come to faith, there's going to be all this excitement and, and, and it's going to be awesome. But there, there comes to be a point where, you know what, it's going to be really, really hard to be a follower of me. And those of, who follow well and finish the race will receive the prize. What's the prize? We talked about this in week one. The prize is to be in the eternal, unbuffered presence. Of a loving God in all of his glory. So, finally, now, what does that mean for us now in the church age? Well, Jesus puts it this way He says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes, and the word, the Greek word there that, that he uses is uh, pistevo. And this is an interesting word that that this belief actually uh, uh, carries with it action. In fact, it pretty much literally means belief at the point of action. This is the same word that's used in John 3.16, whoever believeth in me shall not perish and have uh, everlasting life. This idea of pistivo, a point of action, belief, a real belief that, that actually you act upon not a belief, that, uh, an abstract belief. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes at the point of action in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that, so that the Son can uh, bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, obey my commandments. You know, I don't know how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but I've done it. I'll raise my hand. Like early in your faith, you heard this verse and, like, yes, sweet. All I have to do is say, jesus and i can have a ferrari and i can be fast and uh, all of this you know kind of cool stuff and everything and and you know you know god i want to i want to win the lottery in jesus name amen and that's why we say in jesus name by the way that's why we do it yeah, i mean it's just kind of this you know but uh, this idea i mean it doesn't work right Right I mean, I mean let's just be real here I mean uh I, you know God i want I want a full head of hair in Jesus name amen <laughs> did it work no, it doesn't work I mean it, it I think that we're, but when, our, but when we ask for things like that in our, in, our, you know, in our sin and broken nature, that we're missing the whole point. We're, we're missing what he's saying beforehand. Believeth in me and is immersed in me. And if you love me, you obey my commandments. This idea that we're following Christ so close that, that our desires and our prayers are not for temporal things, but for eternal things that bring glory to God. Bring glory to the Father. And, you know, I think when we, when we uh, again, distill Jesus down to just merely a happy pill or a cosmic vending machine that, that we get like cool little gifts in life and blessings in life that, that the others don't get, that we are missing the whole point of following Christ. Again, Jesus uses imagery of being a follower of Christ that is really, really hard. Talks about, about, you know, picking up your cross daily. You know, that's not going to be put on a, like a marketing campaign flyer or something like that. It's like, hey, if you follow Jesus, you know, you can, you can carry around a, a, an instrument of torture and, and, and your life's going to be really, really hard. You see, when we have a temporal view of life and not what Paul talks about as, as a reason for our hope and looking toward the future and, and pressing on to achieve the prize to one day being the unbuffered presence of God that we are t- preaching or telling of a gospel that is just not true. You see, the, the beauty of of God. And the beauty of being a follower of Christ is that we get to experience an intimate relationship with our Creator. And we get glimpses of that here in this world and in this time. But the reason for our hope is that eventually we will get 100 proof Jesus every day for eternity. This uh, word command in the Greek is entole, and the only recorded command that this word that carries the same uh, weight as like the Ten Commandments and things like that, the only command he gave was to love. In 1 John uh, chapter 4 and verse 16, John writes, We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And we've created a, a graphic, it kind of uh, uh, shows what the Christian life in, in a very simple form should, should look like, and at the center of a Christian's experience should be immersed in the love of God, and that is the reason for our hope that the love that we understand right now is the catalyst for all of our action, for all of our being. And Jesus said in his, his entole, his, his command to us, that we are to love. When he was asked, what's the most important thing, his you know, what's the most important commandment? What's the most important in tole? He responded to holistically love God, to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And equally as important, love your neighbor as yourself. And we believe that, that you know, in the, when we live out the most important commandment, that we will live the abundant life that, that Christ has, uh, has, has promised us. In John chapter 15, and starting in verse 10, Jesus said this When you obey my commandments, when you obey my entole, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment, this is my entole love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for a friend. And Christ is saying, you know what? If you follow me, that you're going to experience this rich and abundant life. But that's not for your benefit and for your, you know, you're not a reservoir, that you're meant to overflow and be a blessing to the world. And out of that overflow, it fuels our mission. And our mission is found in Matthew 28. and It's uh, one of the last things that, that Jesus told his followers. He said, go out and make disciples, not converts, but disciples, followers of him. Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. You see, when we look at what Jesus says about heaven and what it means to be a follower of Him, that we need to start with what he actually taught. What he actually taught heaven is being in the unbuffered presence of him, of God. He tells us that he is God, and, and you know what? What you've seen in Jesus, that he is the incarnate view of who God is. And where, where we go wrong, is when we try to change Jesus or try to make him more palatable to people and to try to to maybe even trick them into heaven. But I can tell you this, that nobody's ever been tricked into heaven. Nobody has has ever been argued into heaven. That, That, you know what? Heaven is relationship. Heaven is the restoration of being in the unbuffered presence of God in a holy city, in a perfect city where there is no more pain or tears and that God permeates every part of it. And even though it grieves us that some people would choose not to want that, that is what Jesus taught. And we need to be the best ambassadors of God as we can. We need to be first and foremost people who are agents of God's love and incarnate here on earth. And, but we always have to and, and desire to have everyone know and love Jesus as much as, as we do. But our eschatology, our view of, of what, what happens in the future informs what we do today. And if we have an unbiblical view of heaven that it is a cosmic Disneyland and people either have a ticket if they're in or out, that's going to inf- that is going to motivate us to behave certain ways. But if we have a biblical view of heaven, of a holy city where God is everywhere and God is Jesus and realize, you know what, even though it grieves us that some people are going to choose that they do not want to have a relationship with who we love. But understand that, that we do not want to be the reason that people stumble. We do not want to be the reason that, that people have an unbiblical view of God in heaven, that we want to be the ambassadors of love and hope in this lost and hurting world. You guys pray with me. Dear God, I just know that we try to make it okay and I try to make it okay, but you know what the reality is That at at some point in our life we just we have to have clarity. And God, we don't want to to diffuse you, we don't want to water you down. God just give us the the love for you and people to be honest, to talk about, about what you've done and what it means to be in a relationship with you. And even though we love you and and desperately wanna be with you, realizing that some may choose that they do not want that. In fact, you tell us that most will choose no. And not that we're okay with that, but understand that your love is precious and that everyone is invited to experience your love and that we should be so grateful that you made yourself known to us and that we will be ambassadors of love and hope and and invite others to be part. We pray for your return. We pray for your kingdom come. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. We'll